Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. God willing, we'll finish the chapter today. If you have your phone, you can open up the email I sent out and you can actually follow along in the outline if you'd like. If you don't get those emails and would like to get them, just let me know and I can add you to the list. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray again together. Father, we ask for Your help this morning. We pray that You would help me to give Your people the sense of Your Word and help them understand the reading. Lord, help me come to the pulpit not with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to Your people the testimony of God, but help me determine not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Help my speech and my preaching not to be with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that Your people's faith may not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Help me preach the Gospel and present the Gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the Gospel. Help me not to preach myself, but Christ Jesus the Lord and myself as a bondservant for Jesus' sake. Help me not to preach Christ from envy, strife, or selfish ambition. Help me to preach Him from goodwill and out of love. Help me to preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that I may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Help me to preach the Word. Help me to be ready in season and out of season. Help me convince, rebuke, exhort with long suffering and teaching. Help me preach the Gospel so that it does not come to Your people in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Help me praise Your works and declare Your mighty acts from the pulpit. Help me speak of the might of Your awesome acts and declare Your greatness. Help me speak of the glory of Your kingdom and of Your power. Grant that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel. Help me to be diligent to present myself approved to you, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Help me to believe what I preach. Help us to believe what we hear. Grip us with it and humble us with it and help us exult in it until we are lost in wonder and love and praise. Help me give your people a sense of you and your presence when I preach. Help me to give them a glimpse of your glory and majesty, the love of Christ, my Savior, and their Savior, and the magnificence of the Gospel. Lord, cut all the ribbons that tie me to the frowns and smiles of men and drive a still beam down my backbone and free me to serve You for Your glory alone. 
Lord, help me seek to serve Your people and not impress them with myself. May I impress them with Jesus. May they not say what a wonderful preacher, but what a wonderful Savior. Oh, Father, make me one of Your special instruments of revival and use me in Your glorious employ. Please make me mighty in the Scriptures and make my life dominated by a sense of Your greatness and Your majesty and Your holiness. Please make my mind and heart aglow with the great truths of the doctrines of grace. Cause me to learn what it is to die to self and to all human aims and personal ambitions. Please make me willing to be a fool for Christ. Please make me willing to bear reproach and falsehood for Your sake. Please help me labor and be willing to suffer for Your namesake. Please make my supreme desire not to be to gain earth's rewards, but to win Your approbation when I appear before Your awesome judgment seat. Please help me preach with broken heart and tear-filled eyes. Please grant my ministry, the ministry of this church, an extraordinary effusion of Your Holy Spirit and allow us to witness signs and wonders following in the transformation of multitudes of human lives. Father, we want to hear from You today. And we ask that You would speak to Oni Baptist Church by Your Spirit. Lord, that You would help us hear, that You would give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to Oni Baptist Church. Keep us awake and alert Keep the heat from being a distraction. Keep, Lord, whatever happened this morning or whatever we're concerned about this week, keep it from being a distraction and let us do business with You today, Father. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. The last two weeks we've studied the rich young ruler and Jesus' instruction to His disciples about riches and wealth after his encounter with the rich, rich young ruler. We've seen the rich young ruler is really the poor, deceived slave because he chose his wealth and possessions over Jesus. We've seen that Jesus is the good God who demands perfection, provides perfection to all who follow Him and is the treasure of heaven who is so valuable that He is worthy for you to give up everything in order to gain Him. Last week we saw that salvation for the rich and everyone is difficult and even impossible apart from God, but God is able to do the impossible and save everyone who repents and believes and follows Jesus. Today, we see that everyone who leaves everything to follow Jesus will receive rewards that far exceed what they leave behind. They will reign with Christ and they will enjoy eternal life as His beloved first and chosen ones. Today we see that everyone who leaves everything to follow Jesus will receive rewards that far exceed what they leave behind. They will reign with Christ and they will enjoy eternal life as His beloved first and chosen ones. Point number one, a radical sacrifice. A radical sacrifice. Look at verse 27 again in Matthew 19. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Beloved, I want you to notice that this is what they did. This, Peter's right. P Peter is not exaggerating. Peter is not making this up. Peter is not overstating his case. He's simply saying what the disciples did, and in fact, what Jesus called them to do. And you can go to the Gospels and see this, and I would like to do that with you. So one place we see 
uh, the disciples do this, leave everything and follow Jesus, is Luke 5, 4-11. You might be helped to open your Bibles to that passage. Uh, move over, Matthew, Mark, Luke 5. Uh, chapter 5, 5 is the, the big uh, number. Uh, it's the chapter number in your Bibles. Luke chapter 5, and in the small numbers or the verses 4-11. through 11, Luke chapter 5, verses 4-11. through 11, And when he, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's another name for Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. They left everything and followed Him. That's what they did. They, they, they beheld the king in his beauty, <laughs> causing them to have a catch that made their boats sink. And, and in the presence of God, Peter knew he was a sinner. This is like an Isaiah 6 moment. Woe, woe is me, for I'm undone, for I've seen the Lord, the Lord of glory. And I'm a man of unclean lips and among a people of unclean lips. And, and, and Peter cries out, depart from me, Jesus, for I'm a sinful man. But Jesus says, do not fear. I'm going to make you a man catcher. You're going to catch men. And they sailed back to the shore and they left everything and they followed Jesus. This is the basic call of disciples to come to Christ. It's a radical sacrifice. We see it in Matthew 4, 19-22. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verses 19-22, where Jesus calls His disciples... And he said to them, verse 19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Immediately. They left everything. They left their father. We're going to see that in our text today. Those who leave family will be repaid. But, but this is the, the basic call of Jesus. And Peter is simply saying, we did this. We did this. And this is what Jesus called His disciples to do. We see that in places like Luke 12. Turn back to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 12, verses 22-34. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. 
And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Peter notes in verse 27 of Matthew 19 that they've left everything and followed Jesus. And this is a radical sacrifice. And, and we see that the disciples have done this. This is what Jesus called them to do. And this is what they did. And this is what they will do. They will go on to keep doing this with their lives because according to church history, every single one of Jesus' disciples, except for the Apostle John who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, all of Jesus' disciples were killed, were murdered because of following Jesus. They did not have their best life now. <laughs> they have their best life now <laughs> in the presence of King Jesus. They made a radical sacrifice. Beloved, I simply want to ask you and, and myself this question. Can you say what Peter said? We have left everything and followed you, Jesus. I have left everything to follow you, Jesus. How is your life different because you decided to follow Jesus? You know that, that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Yes, you decide. I know my Calvinists in the group are chomping at the bed. You didn't decide. Yes, you did decide. You actually did. You chose God. You did. You decided to follow Jesus. And yet we know what's all up under that foundation of us choosing. He chose us first. He decided first to come get us. Changed our heart and caused us to be born again and changed our heart so that we would decide to follow Jesus, that we would choose Jesus. He chose us first and therefore we chose Him. Choose this day whom you shall serve. How is your life different because you chose Jesus? Is it different? Does it look different? In Luke, Jesus said, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 14.33 Luke 14.33 Anyone who, Any one of you, Jesus says, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? 
I like how John Piper summarizes it. Renouncing what you have may not always mean selling it all. But renouncing all does mean that everything we have is totally at Jesus' disposal for purposes that please Him and that it must never get in the way of radical obedience to His command of love. And so in that sense, have you renounced and given everything to Jesus? Have you left everything for Jesus? The account of this rich young ruler really challenges us, and it's meant to be challenging. Craig Blumberg, the man who wrote that book I held up last week about Give Me Neither Poverty Nor Riches, a biblical theology of, of wealth and possessions, he has a commentary on Matthew's Gospel, and he ends this chapter, uh, this section on the rich young ruler, with these these warning, this, this warning word. This entire episode with Jesus and the rich young ruler should challenge first world Christians, virtually all of whom are among the wealthiest people in the history of the world, to radical changes in their personal and institutional spending. The solemn warnings of James 2, 14-17 and 1 John 3, 17 demand much more serious attention lest many professing Christians tragically find themselves damned on the day of judgment. God is speaking and asking some of you to make this radical sacrifice for the first time in your lives today. God may be asking some of you to make this radical sacrifice for Jesus for the first time in your lives today. For those of you who are here are unbelievers, we're happy that you're here. We're glad that you're here. But, but we want to really ask you this question. Have you, have you left everything and followed Jesus? Have you, have you left your sin and followed Jesus? Have you repented of your sins and uh, followed Jesus? The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned. That all of us have uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <coughs> I had the opportunity to be with the, the, <coughs> the Child Evangelism Fellowship uh, camp day camp this week and I love how all the little children I could ask them what sin is and they had been discipled all week to be taught what sin is that sin is anything we think say or do that is not right in God's sight sin is anything we think say or do that is not right in God's sight and friend the bottom line is all of us in manifold ways have not thought what we should think have not said what we should say, have not refrained from saying what we should refrain from saying, and have not done what we should have done, and, and we failed to do what we should have done. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and sin is God murder. Sin is treason against the living God who made you to glorify Him and love Him and honor Him and obey Him. Uh, and so we deserve God's wrath in hell forever for our sin. We deserve God's curse. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve, as Blomberg says, we deserve to be damned on the day of judgment. <clears throat> to be damned by God. That means to be sent to hell by God. That's what we deserve. But we have good news. <laughs> the church has good news. <laughs> Namely, that God damned His own Son in our place that we won't be damned. 
God loves sinners. He loves sinners. He, he loves us in our weakness, in our failures, in, in our uh, 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 wicked rebellion against us. He loves us still. That's amazing. That's amazing that God would stoop to love sinners. Little peons like us that He should just squish like ants. But He loves us. He loves us and He sent His Son. He, he gave the immeasurable, un, unimaginable gift. Jesus, the God-man, came and lived among us. Took on flesh and lived a perfect life. Never sinned. Always obeyed God's commandments perfectly. and Loved and served like no man ever loved and served. Spoke like no man ever spoke. Preached the truth of God's Word and lived it out perfectly. And then He took upon Himself the curse. The wrath of God that we deserve. It's called substitutionary atonement. He, he, he took upon Himself uh, our sins and was punished for those sins and, and, and died and was buried. And it seemed like all was lost. A cursed Messiah. But on the third day, showing that His sacrifice is absolutely perfect and uh, uh, sufficient after He said on the cross, it is finished and died. God raised Him from the dead. Raised Him up so that all who turn from their sins and believe in Him might be saved. Might be saved. Might be forgiven. Might be born again. Might be changed. This is, this is a salvation that you can't work for or earn. You, you can't give enough money away to get this. You can't sell enough stuff and, and give it away to get this. This is something you freely receive by faith alone in Christ alone. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, would you believe in Him today? If you're here today and you've not believed in Jesus, we want you to believe today. We want you to trust Christ today. We want you to be saved so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be adopted into God's family, so that you can be free from the slavery to stuff and money and possessions and start enjoying the deep joy of giving things away and being free. Would you do that today? If you'd like to talk with me more about that, I'll be here afterwards. I'll be in the back. There are other Christians here who would love to speak with you. But we don't want you to leave here today until you've closed with Christ and believed on Him. And the disciples did this. They believed on Jesus. And they followed Him and, and, and they made a radical sacrifice. Because that's what people do who are transformed by the gospel of grace. That's just what they do. That's just what we do. That's the normal Christian life. We radically sacrifice for Jesus once we come to know Him. That's point number one, a radical sacrifice. Number two, a universal question. A universal question. Look again at verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What will we have? What are we going to get out of this, Jesus? Why is he asking that question? One commentator speculated that, that maybe, the, maybe Peter and the disciples are wondering, hey, the, the rich young ruler didn't do enough. Have we done enough? Have we done enough, Jesus? We've left everything. Have we done enough? 
I think there's a different flavor, a reason why he's asking that question. What, what prompted Peter to ask this? Peter had just seen the rich young ruler walk away sad. That's the context of, of Peter making this statement and asking this question. He's just seen Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler and he saw Jesus call the rich young ruler to leave everything, sell everything, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away sad and Peter, Peter's saying, not us, not me. We left all for you, Jesus. And Peter wants to know, what then will we have? What will we get out of this? What, what reward will we get for leaving everything and following you? And notice, beloved, Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter for asking this question. He, he doesn't rebuke Peter for asking this. Is this a good question? Some of you might hear that and say, Oh, Peter, what's in it for you? Always think about yourself. Is, is this a good question to ask? Well, it's a bad question if you haven't really followed Jesus like Peter and the disciples. It is a bad question if you haven't really followed Jesus like Peter and the disciples. If you followed Jesus for what you really want to get from Jesus, that's bad. And, and so there are a lot of people, right, that come to church, that do Christian stuff, but they're not really in it for Jesus. They're in it for what they think they might get from coming to church and being with Jesus. They, they want Jesus to help them. Help them with their addiction. Help them with their marriage. Help them in their relationships. They want to get their blessings on this week and they want their money. They want the payout so they'll come and tithe because they really want money. They really want the blessing and don't see Jesus as the blessing. Right? If you come to Jesus that way and ask what it, what's in it for us, then that is a very bad question. We come to Jesus for Jesus. And it's true, He does help in all those areas. He will help you with your marriage. He will help you uh, uh, turn away from drug addiction. He will help you as a parent. He will help you in manifold ways. But we come to Jesus for Jesus. First and foremost, not for what He can give us. But the disciples really had come to Jesus for Jesus. And, and Peter's asking a question that, that all men ask. It's a question all men ask because all men seek happiness. All men seek happiness. Did you know that? Did you know that in every decision you make, you're doing it because you think it'll make you happy? If you have a thing in your head that you think you do because you don't think it'll make you happy, come, come and tell me. Because I'll get to where it made you happy. I'll figure it out. You might say, well, I sacrificed this to do this. Well, you did it because you thought it would be better to make that sacrifice and you'd be happier in the end. Everything you do, you do because you want to be happy. Blaise Pascal wrote about this. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it, the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never makes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Even people who commit suicide, they think whatever's on the other side is going to be better than what I'm facing here. I'll be happier there. So take me out. 
You want to be happy. Peter wants to be happy. What am I going to get out of this? Beloved, Jesus never calls us to deny ourselves for the sake of self-denial in and of itself. Jesus' calls for self-denial are always calls to deny ourselves in order to gain a greater pleasure. Jesus never calls anyone to deny themselves for the sake of self-denial. But He's always calling us and those in the Gospels and every person to deny themselves in order to gain a greater joy and pleasure and happiness. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised to us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so if you look out in the world, you see people, right, seeking happiness. They seek it in sex outside of marriage. They're fornicating, breaking God's commandments, having sex outside of the marriage covenant because they think it'll make them happy. They like the way it feels. And so they break God's commandments when they don't even know the best sex in the world is in the covenant of marriage. I know that. I know that for, for a fact, even though I've never experienced it because God says it and God wrote the instruction manual on sex and sexuality and everything else. He knows. He knows. People are seeking these ecstasy feelings in drugs and alcohol. They're seeking meaning in their children and parenting and relationships. Seeking joy and happiness in stuff, in money and possessions. And, 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 and Jesus says, you're so weak, you don't desire stuff enough. You don't desire happiness enough. You're, you're going after this, these tiny, two-bit, low-yield, uh, temporary pleasures when the infinite God stands before you and says, come drink of the eternal fountain and be satisfied and enjoy ecstasy and pleasure and joy like you've never dreamed or imagined. But the world's deceived. They're like the child making mud pies in a slum, thinking, oh, this is so great, mud and dirt, when, 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 when God's saying, come to Hilton Head Island and enjoy a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. God, God says, come and, and find your joy in Me. Ultimately, the great pleasure all men deeply desire is God Himself. You might not even know that. Unbelievers don't even know that, but what they deeply desire in all their pleasure-seeking 
they're desiring God. Augustine said, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. C.S. Lewis said, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. All that sin that people run after, it's not going to satisfy. You'll wake up empty. You'll wake up dead and eventually you'll wake up in hell. But God is offering you infinite joy and pleasures and delights like you've never imagined. That's what's in it for you, Peter. <laughs> That's what Peter wants. What do we get out of this? We get Christ. We get God. And, and Jesus is going to tell him all these other things that they get. This, this is how God's people have always pursued God and found their joy in God. Psalm 42, 1-2, As the deer pants for streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I don't like it when Reformed people make fun of certain contemporary songs saying, I can't tell if he's talking to Jesus or his girlfriend. You know why? Because I can't tell the difference when I read this song. I pant for you, O oh God. My flesh longs for you. I desire you. Is that my boyfriend or Jesus? Jesus is better than any boyfriend or girlfriend. Jesus is better than any spouse. He is my spouse. Read the Song of Solomon. That's about Jesus. So don't talk about my contemporary Christian music that I like. Read the Psalms. You have the same problem. Read the Song of Solomon. People have been arguing if, if that's about Jesus and his girlfriend and a husband and a wife, or is that about Jesus, right? No, we delight in Jesus. We, we speak that way. We speak that erotic language about Jesus. The Puritans, the real men, right? The Redwoods of the faith, that's how they spoke about Jesus. If you read the Puritans, if you read Samuel Rutherford, you couldn't tell if he was talking to his wife or Jesus. Oh, kiss me with your sweet kisses. Oh, my Jesus. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul pants for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, 1. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's better than any lover. And we ought to speak to Him as better than any lover, like the psalmists do. Philippians 3, 7-8, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the heart of what Peter's asking. What, what's in it for us? He wants to be happy. And beloved, God promises us. He promises us pleasures forevermore in His presence like nothing you've ever imagined. This is our God. Pray for me. Pray for yourselves that we would find that kind of joy, that, that kind of intense joy in God so that we would write love songs in poetry so the world can't tell if we're writing to our spouse or to Jesus. And we would be like the men of men, the redwoods of the faith, the Puritans who wrote letters like that to Jesus. We need to come back to that, not stray from it. 
And we see what Jesus says. An extravagant reward. Point number uh, two was... Uh, uh, what was point number two? A radical sacrifice was number one. A universal question, uh, uh, which is what, 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 what will you give me to make me happy? Peter's asking. And, 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 and then finally, point number three, an extravagant reward. An extravagant reward. Look at verses 28 through 30. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, uh, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for My sake, for My name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. One hymn that I love, Be Still My Soul. Sadly, you've probably not even heard this verse because it's taken out of most versions, but it's one of my favorite lines in all of hymnody. Katharina von Schlegel wrote this hymn, and this line says, Be still my soul, your Jesus can repay. From His own fullness, all He takes away. Be still my soul, thy Jesus can repay. From His own fullness, all that He takes away. That's what these verses are about. <laughs> In the words of many missionaries, with Jesus, you can never really make a sacrifice. Yes, there's a sense in when you make a sacrifice. But in the big picture, with Jesus, you can never make a sacrifice. Because He repays beyond what you could ever dream or imagine. As Brian Davis summarized in his sermon on the rich young ruler with two points, you must leave everything to follow Jesus. And number two, Jesus will give you far more than you ever give away. Jesus will give you far more than you ever give away. Notice in this text that there will be a new world where we will be fully satisfied. Verse 28, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, that, 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 that is, is literally in the regeneration. In, in the new world, when, when Jesus comes back, when, when He uh, uh, brings righteousness to, to bear on the earth as the waters cover the sea, when the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, in the new world, there's going to be a new world where we will be fully satisfied. No matter what you're going through now, no matter what your losses are now, no matter what your tears are, your anxieties uh, are now, your sadnesses, your depression, it's not going to be that way forever if you know Jesus. There is a new world coming where Jesus will satisfy your every deep desire. Revelation 21, 1-4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
Beloved, you had another wake up today and that's one day closer to that day. Every wake up is one day closer for you to this glorious day in the new world where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and do away with death, do away with pain, do away with suffering. As Lewis has written, all things sad will become untrue. We will be saved, safe, and satisfied forever. This is what we look forward to. This is part of the, the promise of reward that, that, that we should rejoice in and, and know that this is coming. When I wrestled in high school and you were maybe winning by one point and you just had to hold on to keep that lead to win the match and there was like 20 seconds left, you would hear all your teammates and your coach, short time, short time, Randall, short time. What do they mean? Hang in there, buddy. 20 seconds and it's all over. You're about to die. You're so tired. You're out of breath. You just want to give up. But you hear everybody, short time, short time, short time. Go strong. Give it everything you've got. Lay it all out there on the mat. And you go, 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 go for 20 more seconds. And then it's over. And you're victorious. Yes, winner. Short time. It's a short time for us. Christians, we're in the last days. We've been in the last days since Jesus came and died and rose from the dead. It's a short time. Keep going. Keep going. There's an amazing reward coming in the new earth and new heavens. An amazing joy and delight. Short time. Keep going. Give it everything you've got. Leave it all in this world. Leave it all out there. Because as one theologian said, what we do in this life echoes for eternity. Only one life. It will soon be uh, Only one life. Will only one life will soon be? I'm, I'm forgetting this. Uh, only one. Uh, what is it? Yes, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Soon and very soon, beloved, we're going to see the King, and it's going to be amazing. And so, this should motivate us to live now for Him. Short time. Short time. Notice also the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne where He will fully satisfy us. Look at verse 28 again. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. What a, what a beautiful picture that is. Beloved, do you know we were made for beauty? We were made to see and enjoy and delight in beauty. In beauty. And someday we are going to see what some have called the beatific vision. The beautiful vision, the, the unbelievable beauty of, of the King in His glory, in His beauty. And we will be so satisfied and at peace and know at that moment that every little sacrifice we made will be absolutely worth it. Isaiah 33, 17, your eyes will behold the King in His beauty, the Son of Man, seated on His throne. Psalm 27, 4, David longed for this. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I may seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of my wife. That's not what it says, but boy, you could interchange that, couldn't you? Just making my point again for people who don't like songs like that. The Psalms are like that. You better repent. <laughs> the Psalms are like that. One thing have I desired, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. 
the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Revelation 21-22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. There's no temple. People all excited, the temple's going to be rebuilt, this is going to happen. I'm not about a temple, I want Jesus! Israel didn't save me! (laughs) Jesus saved me, the true Israel saved me! There'll be no temple. The Lamb of God is what we'll worship. Revelation 22, 3-4, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. They will see His face. We will see the face of the Son of Man seated on His glorious throne, and we will be saved, safe, and satisfied for all eternity. Beloved, do you long to see the face of your Savior? We shall see Him, and we shall be like Him, for we shall see and know Him as He is. This is the hope of the believer. This is what we had to look forward to. This is why it's not a sacrifice to leave everything and follow Jesus. Because this is what we had to look forward to. And notice also in the text, those who have everything to follow Jesus, those who leave everything, those who leave everything to follow Jesus, will judge and reign with Him. Look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The disciples, the, the disciples' desire for power and authority and glory and honor will be fully satisfied beyond their wildest imaginations. This verse is either speaking about the participation of the twelve disciples in the final judgment along with Jesus, or their participation in reigning with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And maybe both. You know, I like the both interpretations. If this text refers to the final judgment, it refers to the twelve apostles judging rebellious Israel who rejected Jesus the Messiah. D.A. Carson writes, at the consummation, the twelve will judge the nation of Israel, presumably for its general rejection of Jesus, Messiah. If this text refers to the reign of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, then it teaches us that the twelve apostles will participate in the reign of Christ over all of God's people in the new world. William Hendrickson writes, what is meant by these twelve tribes of Israel? In all probability, the term refers to the restored new Israel. Whether as such, it indicates the total number of the elect gathered out of the twelve tribes of the Jews from the beginning to the end of the world's history or even all the chosen ones of both Jews and the Gentiles. In either case, it must refer to those who have been regenerated. For into the reborn universe to which Matthew 19.28 refers, nothing unclean will ever enter. And so all the... the, You've seen this in the disciples in a a sinful, proud, and arrogant way. Who will will sit on your throne? Who will be at your right hand? Who, who, Who will be first in the kingdom, right? They sinfully and pridefully argued. But th- those, those sinful desires come from, 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 from distorted goodness of people being made in the image of God, that we were made in God's image. And part of what that means is we were made to rule and reign under Christ. We were made to rule and reign under Christ in the world, to guard and keep the garden. And so 
Jesus is saying your desires to rule and reign are going to be fulfilled. You're going to rule and reign with me someday. You're going to rule and reign with me, 12 disciples. And guess what, beloved? There's a way that this reward is for us too. It's not only for the 12, it's for all of us. Did you know that? Did you know that all God's people are promised that they will reign with Him? 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3. Or do you not know, he's writing this to the Corinthians church, the messed up Corinthian church. <laughs> or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? 2 Timothy 2, 11-12. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. We will reign with Him. And what of the promise in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21? The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down on my, with my Father on His throne. We will sit down on the throne with Christ and reign with Him. And all of our desires for authority and power and glory and honor will also be fully satisfied beyond anything we could ever imagine. Beloved, we will reign with Christ someday. This is part of our great reward. Those who leave everything to follow Jesus, notice in the text, will receive a hundredfold provisions and family. Those who leave everything to follow Jesus will also receive a hundredfold in provisions and family. Look at verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold. We're going to receive much more than we leave behind. You, you can't make a sacrifice. God is going to outgive you. He's going to reward you far more than anything you give up. What, what does this mean? Who, who leaves all of this? <laughs> well, following Jesus causes division in many homes. Maybe some of you know this in your own home. When you decide to follow Jesus, it can cause tension in the family. If you're in a Muslim home, and you decide to follow Jesus, you, you could be disowned, you could be kicked out of the house, you could even be killed because you follow Jesus. Certainly in the disciples' day, when they were following Jesus, there would have been great tension in the home if, 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 if their family was not on board with what Jesus was doing and teaching. Jesus in other places said He came to bring division in the home because people, some hate Him and some love Him. And so the disciples left family to go and minister with Jesus. Jesus causes division in homes. Missionaries leave, leave family for Jesus' sake. And the, 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 the Child of Edges and Fellowship group, they came out uh, to do a Bible club at our church uh, a couple, couple weeks ago and they told the story of Hudson Taylor and Hudson Taylor had fallen in love with this young lady and he, but he was also committed to God and to go to China. God had called him to go to China and uh, this young lady and her family said, well, she ain't going to China. <laughs> so if you love her and want to be with her, then you need to forget about going to China and you can marry her. What's he going to do? He's going to think about that love song to Jesus. 
And that trumps any earthly love. Amen? And he, he said, bye. I'm gone. I'm going to China. Missionaries leave family. Missionaries leave opportunity. I love this. This, this, is, this is what I would call my prenup. <laughs> Adoniram Judson's letter to the woman he wanted to marry his father. He wrote to her father, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of need and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of Him? That gives me chills. That sounds like a lot of sacrifice. Can you consent to all of that for the sake of Him? who left His heavenly home and died for her and died for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclaimments of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means for eternal woe and from despair that they were saved from because of Jesus. That's my prenup. Got to be willing to do that or we ain't going. And if I die alone, I die alone. And pray that I would mean that. Pray that I would mean it. Because Christ is all. Christ is all. And so missionaries leave family. They leave the hope of family for the sake of Christ and the sake of His name. Jesus promises rewards Jesus promises rewards of family that, 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 that way outweigh any family you would leave behind. What does He mean by that? Jesus' promise of reward refers to what you will gain in the church family. They will love and provide for you. Beloved, this is why I started calling all you brother and sister. Some people think that's weird. What are we, we become Roman Catholic now? Brother Michael and sister Becky and brother Isaac. What is this? We going Catholic on here? No, it's just Bible. It's just basic Bible. We're, we're, it's, a, it's a helpful reminder that you are my family. Anthony, where's Anthony? Where's Anthony Austin? He went to the bathroom. He, he missed it. Uh, we're his family. He doesn't have a family. We, we heard him talk about how his family treated him terribly. Just terribly. Some of us don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like. My family loved me, provided me, cared for me. He had a family that treated him terribly. We're his family. We're his only family. Do you have a place to go for Christmas? We're his family. Anthony, we're your family. We're your family. The church is your family. That's what Jesus means. Brother Anthony, he's my brother. He's my brother. This is how the Bible talks. Romans 16, 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has become a mother to me too. He's become a mother to me. Philemon 1.10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Matthew 12, 48-50. But Jesus replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
And stretching out His hand toward His disciples, He said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus teaches the preeminence of the family of God over any biological relations. That's what Jesus teaches. Who are my mothers and brothers? People make such a big deal about Mary. And she is blessed among women. The Bible says that. But in situations like this, Jesus says, Who does my will? That's my mama. That's my mama and my sister and my brother. The one who does the will of God. The church family. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You may leave your earthly family, but I'm going to repay you a hundredfold with church family. I have families in San Diego, families in Cary, North Carolina. I have families, my own family in North Carolina. I have families, all, I have families in Philadelphia. I mean, I know if my house burnt down and I didn't have anywhere to go, I got houses in San Diego. I got a house on Miss Lena Street. I got a house uh, uh, in, in Cary, North Carolina with Matthew Holst. I got a house in Charleston, South Carolina with Nick Badsig, I got Christian friends all over the world who love me and I got houses with them. When you become a Christian, it becomes a hundredfold. You, you get brothers and sisters all over the world who love Jesus and will take care of you if you need help. That's what Jesus is saying here. And what about for missionaries where there is no church? Jesus will be your home. He'll be your brother and your sister and your mother and your children and your fields. Jesus will be your all in all. Beloved, this last section of Matthew 19 is is meant to emphasize you can't outgive Jesus. Whatever you leave for Him, He is going to repay you beyond your wildest imaginations. 100-fold in this life. He's going to take care of you. And in the age to come, eternal life. Those who leave everything to follow Jesus will receive eternal life. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It never ends. Life everlasting. I saw that at 2.30... Tuesday afternoon, this Tuesday afternoon at 2.30, they'll be having the memorial service for Tim Keller. And I am one who is very thankful for Tim Keller. You can go online and watch that service, but they also listed the order of worship. And at the very beginning of the bulletin for the order of worship, they quote D.L. Moody, where he says, there will be a day when someday you will hear that I'm dead. Don't believe one word of it. I am more alive than I ever was in the presence of King Jesus. Beloved, this is the hope of the believer. You'll never die. If you know Jesus, you're never going to die. Remember what Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You're going to have eternal life someday. You won't miss out on anything. You might be here today and you're thinking you got your bucket list and you got these things you so desperately want in this life and you're so afraid you're going to miss out on and you've got to do this and that before you die. and You're not going to miss out. And pray for me that I would believe what I'm preaching. I have trouble believing what I preach. Did you know that? Pastors are supposed to believe preach above what they live because we got to aim for that too. And I have trouble believing this stuff. 
But it's true. Pray for me that I would believe it. I'm not going to miss out on anything. I'm not going to miss out. You're not going to miss out on anything. You're going to have eternal life. And all things sad will become untrue. And there will be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore like you never imagined. That's what's coming for us in Christ. Joy forever that increases forever. It just gets better and better and better every day. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's why we can give generously now. <laughs> David Platt writes, Jesus called a salvation guarantees radical reward. Jesus tells the rich young ruler to go and sell his possessions, but he follows it up by saying, and you will have treasure in heaven. Remember that? Sell everything, but you're going to have treasure in heaven. Jesus was not calling the rich man away from treasure, but to treasure. That's actually, there's, there's actually a tinge of self-serving motivation here, as in sell everything you have in order to get something better. The question for us is whether we will live for short-term pleasures we cannot keep, or for long-term treasure we cannot lose. We don't want to miss the reward in Christ because we want more stuff in this world. Jesus is infinitely better and His reward is eternal. In verse 29, we see what a wise investment our radical surrender is. For Jesus says that our return will be a hundredfold, both now and in the age to come. That's radical reward. And beloved, since we have such great, radical, extravagant rewards guaranteed to us by our loving, good, and trustworthy God, we're free to be generous. And the more generous we are here on earth, the more treasure we store up in eternity. John Piper puts it this way, the more sacrificially generous you are on earth, the greater will be your enjoyment of heaven. Therefore, since Jesus loves us and summons us to maximize our eternal joy in heaven, He demands radical freedom from the love of money and radical generosity, especially toward the poor. And then finally, beloved, Jesus ends sort of pointing forward to the next parable in chapter 20. In verse 30, He says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. From the world's perspective and even from the disciples' perspective, the rich young ruler seemed to be first. But unless he repented, he was not saved, and he was last. He ended up last. He seemed first. This guy's young. This guy's rich. This guy's got everything going for him. He's got all this stuff. He's got authority and power. If he can't be saved, who can be saved? He's first. And yet Jesus says the first in the eyes of the world is going to end up last. And the last are going to end up first. The last. The least. The small in this world. The disregarded and those who are viewed as unimportant. Like the children. Remember, Jesus contrasts the children with the rich young ruler. Those who are last and least, the small of the world, the disregarded, those viewed as unimportant, like the little children, they will be first. They will be first. And, and Jesus is, is ending at chapter 19 here by reminding us that all of this is all of grace. All of this. Our salvation, our repentance, our forsaking all to follow Jesus, our generosity, everything is all of God's gift of grace. 
D.A. Carson comments, this statement, this the first shall be last and the last first, is a way of setting forth God's grace over all notions that the rich, powerful, great, and prominent will continue so in the kingdom. Those who approach God in childlike trust will be received and advanced in the kingdom beyond those who, from the world's perspective, enjoy prominence now. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Salvation is all of grace. You cannot earn it. You cannot work for it. It is freely given. As Romans 4, 5 reminds us, to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And dear beloved saints, you will be first in His eyes. Do you know that? You will be first in God's eyes. Be reminded, beloved, that God delights in you. Even when you sin, God delights in you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You cannot out God. You cannot out God. He loves you. He delights in you. He rejoices over you with shouts and singing. You are the apple of His eye. You are first in His heart. In Christ. He loves you with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And beloved, remember why we have all this great extravagant love and reward. Jesus is the richest of all the rulers who left everything in a way Peter just could not understand at this point in the Gospel story. And Jesus did it for the joy that was set before Him. He did it for the Father's glory. He did it to bring many sons to glory. He did it to bring you to glory. Jesus is the all-satisfying Son of Man who sits on His glorious throne right now, ruling and reigning and interceding for you. Even now... He left everything. He was separated from His family. He was forsaken by God, His Father, and endured eternal death on that cross and was the ultimate first who was last for our sake so that we might be first and have eternal life and rewards beyond what we could ever imagine. And He rose up from the dead. So He's also the last who is the first forevermore. He is the first of all the firsts. He's the firstborn from the dead. So that in all things, He might have the preeminence. I wonder if you've heard this song that some of my Reformed friends might make fun of. Jesus, You are my reward. To see Your face on that day is all I'm living for. Jesus, You are my reward. To see Your face on that day is all I'm living for. Friend, if, you, if you're here this morning and you don't sing loud because you don't think you have a good voice, sing loud anyway. Make a joyful noise. You don't have to have a good voice. Just sing loud. God wants to hear you sing. You don't need a good voice. Jesus, You are my reward. To see your face on that day is all I'm living for. Beloved, everyone who leaves everything to follow Jesus will receive rewards that far exceed what they leave behind. They will reign with Christ and they will enjoy eternal life as His beloved first 
and chosen ones. And if you get that, you'll live like Jim Elliot, who said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And we might even change that to say he is a fool. He is a fool who keeps what he cannot keep and gives up gaining what he cannot lose. Beloved, Jesus died and gave up everything in order to salvation bring so we might now forever sing. To follow you, we've left it all. This Peter said while standing tall, there'd come a time when he would fall, deny his Lord and shrink so small. But this our Lord did not appall. To save our souls, he left it all. Though he's the biggest, he came small. He's the biganator. <laughs> Anthony coined that yesterday at men's breakfast. Jesus is the biganator. They ain't nobody bigger than Jesus. Though He's the biggest, He came small and hid His glory for the gall. Upon that cross which was His call, God's wrath on Him would soon befall. He rose alive to reinstall what's right and good to never fall, for He forever will enthrall since He's the Christ who's all in all. Whatever you lose, Christ can repay. From His own fullness, He's the way. To joy and pleasure, bow and pray for Him to be your heart's deep yea. Then when all things He takes away, you can with humble joy say, No sacrifice I've made this day, for Christ is all to me, my stay. He'll keep you stable in the fray. All earthly treasures He'll outweigh, or all your heart He will have sway. You'll long to follow and obey even the hardest things He'll say. Since He died to love display and rose alive on that third day, He molds your heart like humble clay. So be a child and trust His way. Christ Jesus gave up everything, left glorious throne to heaven bring to sinners who have felt death's sting. He died and rose, our reigning King. By faith alone we to Him cling, who saves from every sinful fling. He conquered death, there's no more sting. And now when we leave everything, He gives far more and makes us sing. With Him, Life has eternal zing. From Philly to those in Beijing, His praises will forever ring. He, for He's our all, our everything. So everything to Him we bring. Our satisfying treasure king. From where all pleasures flow and spring. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. I believe. Jesus, that You are my treasure. Worthy to leave everything for. Worthy to leave all my hopes and dreams in this life for. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Father, we thank You for these amazing rewards You promise us. We thank You, Jesus, that You love us so much. We thank You, Father, that You love us so much. We thank You, Holy Spirit, that You love us so much that You promise us these amazing rewards that make it impossible for us to ever really make a sacrifice. For You will repay us beyond anything we leave behind. Father, please send Your Spirit now to apply this Word to our hearts. God, help us to get it. Help us to believe it. Lord, help us to live in light of these truths. Show us, God, how You want us to live. Show us how You want us to give. Show us how You want us to be generous. Show us how You want us to make sacrifices for You now because it's a short time. Short time. Help us, Lord. Leave it all out on the earth for Your glory by Your Spirit, in union with You, by Your power. Help us, God. 
Father, if there's anyone here today who's not saved, who has not come to trust Christ as their Savior, Lord, we pray that today would be the day that they repent and believe the Gospel and leave everything to follow Jesus. So please do that, Father, we pray. For Jesus' sake, Amen.